Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Schweikert, Gannison, Krizak, Rundio proudly sponsors the Friday Night Drive. I'm Mike Krizak. If you've been injured, we are ready to take on the insurance company and get you to the end zone. We've recovered hundreds of millions of dollars for our clients. Visit gannassin.com. Welcome back to the Friday Night Drive podcast. I am Kyle Nibbers along with Steve Susie here to set you up for a recap week seven of the high school football season here. We got two weeks left, only two weeks left, Seuss, in the high school football season, man. It's, it, we're really hit, entering the home stretch here. Um, start us off today, though, talking about, you know, kind of just give us a quick recap of week seven and, and how it really impacted the playoff field. Well, I mean, I, I say this a lot and sometimes I think I might be overstating it, but I think in pretty much almost all the time that I've been doing this, I don't think I've ever experienced a week where everything was almost perfectly stable. There were so few things this week that went differently than the way that I anticipated that it would. Um, and in regards to that, it just meant that like there were so few things that upset the, the, the balance of what was going on. Um, and I don't know if I've ever had it happen like this. Um, we haven't we haven't put it out for publication yet, but um, two of the classifications in of the eight stayed exactly the same as I had them last week in terms of their construction. There was no moves in. There were no moves out. Um, there were very few new teams added to the projection or returning teams. To the, it was just, I mean, it was it it played out almost as scripted in the regards to the way that I thought that it might. Um, and in that happening, I'm terrified as to the chaos that is certainly coming our way over the next two weeks because um, that won't hold. It just simply won't. Yeah, I mean, it never does. The, the, you're always you're always certain to get some craziness over the final couple weeks of the season. You, you know it's coming. Um, but, of course, uh, as, as Sue's kind of alluded to there, uh, we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Uh, our updated playoff projection that Sue's has been working on will be dropping Wednesday morning at FridayNightDrive.com. Make sure to check those out. You can follow us on Twitter at FNDrive. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Friday Night Drive. And, of course, you can follow Seuss and I both on Twitter. Find me at Kyle Neighbors. Find Seuss on Twitter at the Seuss. And you are right. I mean, so like every week I go through after everything's done as I put together what I want to talk about on this podcast with you. And there weren't a lot of like, uh, there's usually five or six like upsets, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to list those first. Those are the games we're going to get into. There weren't a lot of those games this week. Um, a couple of things I do want to note though, as you mentioned in your, what we learned in week seven piece that's up currently on FridayNightDrive.com right now is the things in the middle of some of these conferences are are getting quite murky. Uh, a, a good example, you had the Fox Valley Conference and the Upstate 8. Fox Valley Conference, like you, you started to look at it this past weekend, like you're trying to figure out, okay, Crystal Lake Central might be that, that last FVC team in, and now Burlington Central goes out and, and gets that win, and things get upset a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, I might have uh, mixed those around there. 
but um, I'm going to try and check that up. But Zeus, save me here, man, while I look this up and double check what I just said. Um, but the FEC yeah, and Upstate it, A looking weird. Yeah, it's definitely one of those situations that really only comes into play with lock conferences. Um, usually you have a pretty clean stack. You'll have a nine-win team, an eight-win team, a seven-win team, a six-win team, and a five-win team. But then sometimes you can get into those three-way tie scenarios um, where you'll you'll have, you know, multiple teams at one level and then not at any teams at another level. The weird thing that's happening in the Fox Valley is not only are you having a three-way tie at the top, you might have a three-way tie in the middle too. And if that three-way tie lands on four win teams, all three of those teams are going to miss. Um, and that's kind of the same situation that's percolating in the upstate eight too as a possibility. So there may be a situation that plays out where uh, both of those leagues might only get four bids when that system is kind of set up to produce five. So um, it's it's definitely kind of a quirky little thing that's going on. Uh, Burlington Central's making a little push here in the second half of the season. Still got some work to do to have Kerry Grove this week, um, but they might they might be able to sneak in through the back door here at, based on the way that they've been playing as of late. So um, yeah, but just kind of a kind of a you know a clumping and a cluster right in the middle of a lot of conferences right now where usually you're thinking to yourself, okay, they're probably going to be able to get to five wins. But in reality, it looks like we might have a whole bunch of teams knotting up the, you know, gumming up the works and all finishing with four. So um, that's definitely something to keep an eye on over the last last two weeks here. And I was right when I was saying earlier, Crystal Lake Central or Burlington Central did come away with a 21-17 win over Crystal Lake Central. Burlington Central getting to three and four at that point. Yeah, and as you said, a, a matchup against Cary Grove this week Certainly not used to seeing the Trojans at three and four and fighting for their playoff lives. Um, I do expect Kerry Grove uh, to win that game, but with the way Burlington is playing, definitely makes it a little bit more dicey. But we're going to go ahead and dive into some of the games here in week seven in Seuss. Um, while there weren't, like I said, a lot of upsets, there were a lot of games, particularly down in the Joliet area, your neck of the woods, that were really interesting. Um, some really good games this week. And I want to start with Brother Rice and Joliet Catholic, uh, a good rivalry game here. Uh, Brother Rice wins that game 31-24 in double overtime. Owen Lyons uh, had a 26-yard touchdown catch in that game on on third and uh, third and long, uh, and then the uh, Brother Rice came up with a stop. Uh, a, a really nice win for Rice. A good high school football game, Seuss. I mean that that catch that you mentioned. I, I saw some still photography of it frame by frame. Utterly ridiculous. Like it, I mean, it was a crazy catch. I mean, it was nuts. But, uh, you know, that game coming in, I kind of alluded to the possibility that that I thought that it might be, you know, kind of a tight ball game. Uh, the records didn't show it, but on paper, I felt like they were two pretty evenly matched football teams. And here's a big surprise. It went into overtime. So um, that's, that's kind of speaking to what it was. Uh, you know, Brother Rice has gotten a lot better over the course of, of since the beginning of the season, had a lot of guys to replace. Um, so now they've put themselves in great position where they don't have to rely on beating Marist in week nine uh, necessarily to get themselves into the playoff field. So a huge win for the Crusaders in that sense. Um, Joliet Catholic now um, with two losses uh, kind of sliding down the field here in regards to, um, you know, whether or not they might even be able to host an opening round playoff game. So, uh, you know, they still have two games left on their schedule. Uh, both look winnable on paper, so they should be able to should be able to get to seven and two. But if they don't, they'll definitely be on the road for the first round of the four A playoffs. 
playoffs. You may hear a few barks in the uh, in the background today, guys. As you you can I can hear a faint one, which uh, Susan and I were talking about earlier. The uh, a neighbor's dog uh, occasionally likes to get outside and start barking, which gets Seuss's dogs going. Not a lot we can do about that, so apologize if they do uh, bark. But um, you know, it's uh, anyone who's a dog lover uh, will get a kick out of that. Uh, another game though, Seuss, in your area that was really good. A Lockport with a 34-33 win over Bolingbrook. Lockport scored two touchdowns in the final minute 28 of that game, had a touchdown, re- uh, recovered the onside kick, and went down and scored again. Uh, that's a, a You don't see that one every day, man. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a situation where, as I was watching those updates come in, you know, I was pretty surprised that that was happening. It was – and then when I got more information after the fact, uh, you know, Lockport was kind of playing with a makeshift secondary, which is absolutely the last thing that you want to do when you're playing Bolingbrook is, is you know, sending out guys with limited experience in the secondary to try to deal with that. So, uh, you know, issue upon issue, but somehow Lockport figured out how to get that win. And a couple of weeks ago, I didn't think this was a playoff team. I mean, they had, they had lost two games in a row, had narrowly beat Bradley Bourbonnet the week before the two-game losing streak. I felt like this team was in was in a bit of trouble after back-to-back losses to Sandberg and Homewood Flossmore, but they have responded nicely and now go into that Lincoln Way East game this week with a little bit of momentum. Yeah, the Class 8A state champs or defending state champs, the Porters. You know, you are you that that particularly that second loss, that loss to Sandberg, 34 to three, was really lopsided. Um, and it really made me start to doubt what the where the Porters were. I mean, it was, that's understandable. This was a team that lost a, an incredible amount of talent from that state title team. It's a work in progress, but they've done a really nice job of stabilizing things, Seuss. Yeah, they have, and I, and I you know, I kind of, I, I have a lot of trust and faith in that in that veteran coaching staff to to pull together what assets they have to, to give their team the best possible chance to be in a good position to win, but. Uh, you know, it just seemed like the, the problems were mounting up in a way that they, they couldn't quite get them lined up. But uh, And I had them as a pretty substantial underdog in this game with Bolingbrook, and it looked like it was going to play out the way that I thought. But uh, uh, a wonderful rally from Lockport in that situation, and, and now they've got five wins. So, I mean, they're locked, They're, they're going to be in that field and have an opportunity to defend their uh, – Class A state champion, 8A state championship of a year ago. So, uh, something that I didn't think was in the cards for them uh, as recently as, as possibly a week ago, I actually believe that they, they were in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. Uh, another game in your neck of the woods, uh, another Southwest Suburban game. Uh, not a lot that I want to hit on here in terms of the actual game itself. It's more of the implications of the outcome, though. It was Lincoln Way Central taking down Lincoln Way West 38-27. It was not really an outcome that I that I expected. I, I, I had decently high expectations for the Warriors coming into this year. But that puts both of those teams now at three and four and, and realistic scenarios here where they both could miss the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the year, after Lincoln Way West started out two and zero, couple of a pretty solid non-conference wins. I was like, well, at least Lincoln Way West won't put themselves in the. It doesn't look like they're going to put themselves in the situation that they did last year, which yep. was that they needed to win two games, uh, two out games, just to get to five victories. I didn't think that was going to be the scenario. I didn't think that was going to be the scenario for them again this year. Um, I thought they would win that game against Lincoln Way Central, and then potentially put themselves in a situation where they might end up at five and four again, but it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a situation where they would go into that Homewood Flossmore game in week nine needing to win it. Now they have to do it again. So they did it last year. I don't know if it's in the cards for them to do it this year. 
Yeah, I mean, you you look too like they have Homeward Flossmore in Week Nine, and even this Week Eight game against Andrew isn't a given. Uh, you know, they're coming off a loss to Lincoln or Lincoln Way West is coming off a loss to Lincoln Way Central, and Lincoln Way Central lost to Andrew fourteen to seven. So this is not a game where we can just chalk it up. But then you look at Lincoln Way Central as well; they get Bolingbrook this week, and then finish with Sandberg. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, the 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 red here, the the Southwest Suburban red, really kind of a in, in a tough position. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of teams right there that need every win at this point in time just to get themselves to playoff uh, qualification status. You mentioned Andrew in there. They're another team. They have four wins right now, but their their schedule is a little bit bumpy the rest of the way. I, it, I don't know if they can get to five. So, um, you know, the, the crossover games um, for these teams this late in the year against the other side of the Southwest Suburban really tend to be uh, very difficult mountains for those those schools to climb because – uh, you know, one division is clearly has the the stronger teams than the other. Um, and then they back end their schedule with these crossover games rather than putting them in the beginning. So, uh, you know, those those teams in that division uh, have all of them have uphill climbs now to get themselves into the, the postseason. And a lot of people don't realize this. I mean, there's a scenario where all of them could miss. I yeah. mean, the, that's as, what I'm looking since at. Here, they yeah. only have five teams. Since they only have five teams in each one of those divisions, you need six teams in your division to get an automatic conference champion qualifier. So there's a scenario that plays out where all of them could miss. So it, it, it seems odd to say that, but uh, you know because they're all so close to begin with. But um, there's definitely there's definitely a range of motion that could have them them all missing. That would be quite a. Uh quite rare and, and quite the outlier but yeah looking at the way the schedule are setting up that is that is a possibility here one more game i want to hit before we get a word from our sponsor seuss and that is a game that you had on friday night that plainfield north took down manuka 22 21 and i'll be completely honest with you i did not expect this margin to be that close seuss well i didn't expect it to be this this close and to be completely honest with you based on the performance of the two teams in the three the first three quarters of that game I thought Manuka was going to beat them handily. Um, yeah. they, they controlled that game for the first three quarters of that football game. Uh, some weird scenarios came into play, but boy, over the course of the last seven minutes of the game, you, you got a, a reminder of how explosive that Plainfield North offense can be when it needs to have it get done. Because after not doing much for the first three quarters, uh, three consecutive drives from Plainfoot North over those last – where they just zip, zip, bang, bang, they're in the end zone. And, you know, before you knew it, they almost scored too fast at the end of the game. I mean, they, they still left 45 seconds on the clock when they got the decisive score. So uh, it, it's it's not the Plainfield North offense that you have considered in the past. They have lots of, of, of uh, varied attack modes that they can take, and they finally got it going just in the nick of time. So – it was definitely an interesting result there and certainly not the way I expected that game to play out and in any way, shape, or form. I uh, haven't gotten a chance to see Manuka again. I believe that was the first time you had seen Manuka since week one, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So now having, yeah, seen yeah. Them in, having seen them in week seven compared to week one, how much progress have the Indians made? Well, it was, it was one of the things that I mentioned with coach Matt Harding after the game, um, he, you know, he, I looked at him and I said, you know, I, I know you didn't win the football game, but boy, your defense is playing so much better. I mean, they looked, to be honest, and I and I think Coach Harding would agree with it. They looked bewildered after that game with Bowling Brook in Week One. I mean, 
the freshman quarterback tore him up, you know, for the, the huge night that he had. It didn't look like they were anywhere near where they needed to be to be an effective defense. Um, but they did a really nice job um, in that game, and they have been doing a really nice job for the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, they now find themselves – I mean, that's the first time they'd lost since I'd seen them in Bolingbrook. They had, they had ran together five consecutive victories and done a really nice job of it. So, I mean, they have – they have done a, what I think, in my opinion, of after what I saw them do in week one, is they did a real nice job of going back to the drawing board and saying, I have a square peg, where is a square hole? And just putting their, their kids in the best possible position that they can to succeed. Um, so credit to that coaching staff for, for having that recognition. Instead of trying to, you know, maybe go into systems that maybe they were more comfortable with as a coaching staff, they work to their personnel, and it, it seems to be working out. It wouldn't be surprising to me to see them bounce back nicely, finish out the season with two wins here. That's that's how well they're playing right now. All right. Well, we're going to quickly get a word from our sponsor here. Stick with us for the Friday Night Drive podcast. we got a lot more to recap in Week 7. Schweikert, Gannison, Krizak, Rundio proudly sponsors the Friday Night Drive. I'm Mike Krizak. If you've been injured, we are ready to take on the insurance company and get you to the end zone. We've recovered hundreds of millions of dollars for our clients. Visit gannassin.com. Thank you once again to SGKR for sponsoring Friday Night Drive and the Friday Night Drive podcast. We've got a lot more to dive into here. I want to move up into the Duquesne Conference where you had a matchup between Whedon North and Whedon Warrenville South. Uh, Tyler O'Connor scored on a fourth down TD run uh, uh, out of the wildcat formation. And then they were able to get a game winning uh, two point conversion, a really low scoring game here, which didn't really surprise me. Um, now, I guess I, I believe Whedon Warrenville South scored pretty early in that game and then just kind of wrote it out. I thought that they might be able to to end up winning that game 7-0. But Whedon North defending uh, 7A state champion found a way to get it done, Seuss. Yeah, that was one of those games that I was watching kind of it develop on Twitter on, on, on Friday night. And I'd look at the score update and I'd kind of shake my phone and be like, any updates? Anything happen here? I mean, it was it really you're right. It felt like they scored early and then I heard nothing for like two hours. I didn't know what had happened. So um, it, my my Twitter feed is usually a jarbled gumble of, of scores and all kinds of other stuff that's going on. And so I so I'm like, well, maybe I missed it. And then in reality, when I found out later, I'm like, well, I didn't miss anything. Nothing happened. So as far as scoring went, I'm sure there was a lot of good defense played. But, um, yeah, so that was, you know, Wheaton Warrenville South just tr trying to scratch and claw and hold on to any hopes of, of keeping themselves in the playoff mix. That's a huge hit to them in that, in that quest. Um, but uh, if they would have been able to get that win, they would have put themselves right back in the picture. But this is kind of what you're experiencing every week in the Duquesne. And you're never sure where it's going to come from. But there's going to be at least one game that's going to come down to the wire like this one does. Um, it just there's so much depth in that conference. There are so many matchups where it looks like on paper they're pretty evenly matched teams. So it's not surprising to see one, two, maybe even three games in the Duquesne that are just that are still kind of hanging in the balance in the fourth quarter. Yeah, another Duquesne game I want to hit on. I'm going to eat a little bit of crow here because I, I I'm sure we have some uh, Batavia Bulldog fans that listen to this, and um, you know I. I I won't say – I believe I said last week that I, I thought Batavia would win the game against Geneva, but I was interested to see how close Geneva could make it. Ended up not being particularly close. Uh, Batavia won that game 33-7. to Drew Gerke uh, uh, caught two, deep, uh, two touchdown passes in the first half and then had a 92-yard kickoff return in the second half to really kind of help the Bulldogs put Geneva away there. Um, 
you know, it's a setback for the Vikings, Seuss. Um, but more more than that, I just think it reconfirmed that Batavia, uh, despite those two losses early or earlier in the season, is going to be right there uh, once we get into the postseason. Well, I mean, once they fell to one and two, you know, the, the feeling was that, you know, they'd probably get it back on track. And it really looks like that they have. But each week with the projections that those the two losses are dragging them down. And, and I keep seeing them on the what I call the road team side of the bracket, which is underneath the 16 seed. And they've been floating around right around there where they might flip over to the home team side of the bracket if they can get up into the top 16 teams. But mostly they've been around the 17, 18, 19 thing for the most the majority of the last you know five or six weeks. So um, it's it's definitely a situation where you look forward, you look ahead, you start to wonder about, you know, that game with St. Charles North that's that's coming up and whether or not they can win that football game, improve their situation. Uh, but if they don't, then they'll probably go a little bit more farther down that that bracket. So it's it's definitely interesting to watch, you know, what Batavia has been able to do. Um, I, I'm not surprised by it in any stretch of the imagination. But after seeing what happened in the Lincoln Way East game where they were kind of manhandled in the first half of that game in week two of the season, uh, I wasn't sure that the climb back to where they're at right now was going to be super easy for them, but they've made it look pretty easy so far. Yeah, they have. They've they've played really well and uh, really impressive here once they got into Duquesne Conference play. Um, moving over uh, to the Mid-Suburban League, I want to quickly hit on Elk Grove Village, which had a 41-21 win over Rolling Meadows. Uh, that is the sixth win for Elk Grove, moving uh, the Grenadiers to 6-1, which uh, officially locks up a playoff berth for the Grenadiers. Uh, and while it's the first, I, I say first off, I want to say it is their first playoff appearance since 2000, uh, 2013, but I also went back and looked. This is the first time that they've won more than three games um, since 2013 as well. And last year was the first time they had won three games since then. That was a three and six finish for Miles Osi and the, uh, the Grenadiers. Yeah. A complete turnaround from this program this year. And I mean, I know we had kind of hinted at that maybe being on the horizon based on some things that we had heard and seen this summer, but I was still a little skeptical. I mean, there are certain teams that just have, you know, I feel like they have a lot of things stacked up against them. I felt like Elk Grove, was in a division this year that had too many good teams in it that they they probably wouldn't be able to pull all the way back into the position that they have. They've exceeded every expectation that I could have possibly put for them through seven weeks of the season. If you would have told me they were going to be six and one through seven weeks, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, I, I would have thought that a playoff berth was possible, but then when you look at, it, I mean, the other factors that are going on in their division right now, they have three teams that have the that are projected to have the top ten. Uh, playoff points in the entire state. So, and and, and that's not included. I mean, they're not one of those three. So that, they're obviously that playing. Pros, prospect, Hersey, and Buffalo Grove, right? Yes, correct. Okay. So th- those those three are are up at the top, and Rolling Meadows isn't far from it either, and they're also in their conference. So, like those teams are all good. They all have played really really strong schedules. So I mean, that's it. it just looked like from you know outsider looking in with all those scenarios in play i mean a complete revolution of what's happened with El Grove probably wasn't going to be possible but they keep stacking those wins and they've done a really nice job in doing that 
and the margin of victory was pretty impressive the other night because that's not a bad football team that they beat on Friday night. No, it's not. And like I said, a real uh, a shout out and congrats to Miles OC and his staff, um, and of course the kids. But you know, when 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 you're a coaching staff and you're you're taking over a program, I mean, Miles OC came in went 0 and 9 his first year in, in 2017, and that was after back to back 0 and 9 years. Uh, won one game in 2018, won two games in 2019. It's so hard to build a program and to get kids to invest in your team and to really build up those program numbers, which is what you have to do. Like when you're, this was a complete rebuild. Um, so congrats to Miles O.C. and his staff for being able to put that together. And like I said, congrats to the kids. Um, it's going to be a fun time uh, in November uh, once we get into the playoffs for them. A uh, long time coming for playoff football, coming back to Elk Grove Village. Um, one other game, Sue's here quickly. Um, not a lot I wanted to talk about in terms of the actual uh, the game itself, but another game that was meaningful was Fenwick picking up a 37-26 win over St. Patrick because that got the Friars to 4-3, and three, and technically they're at 5-3 and three because they get a, 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 a forfeit win this week. But they were going to have a really tough matchup. Uh, I thought it was going to be a win-and-in scenario for the Friars once again this year, but they've put themselves in position now going into Week 9 that they're in good shape. Yeah, they are one of the few um, Chicago Catholic League, East Suburban Catholic Conference teams that um, that don't have a whole bunch of playoff points. So they could not get themselves into a situation where they got to four and five and were hoping that the field was accommodating and allowed you know, allowed four win teams into the field as at large teams because Fenwick's non conference schedule include a forfeit win where you get no playoff points. Uh, Thornwood, who currently has two points. And I believe Oak Park has four. So when you add that to the rest of their, you know, their league games, it's just not going to be enough to get them into that conversation. A lot of CCL team, ESCC teams have, you know, are are trending towards fifty points. Fenwick might be lucky to get to forty. So that was not going to be in the cards for them. So not having to go into that St. Ignatius game in Week Nine, which I don't think in, w- would be a game that they would be favored in to begin with, having to win it. Uh, a great relief for Fenwick in that situation because now that now it's it's virtually assured that they're going to be in the field and have a chance to defend their 5A title. Yeah, uh, another team I want to hit on, a team that there's not a lot of teams by the time we get through seven weeks that I feel like are still flying under the radar for me here. But I, one team um, that I want to hit here is Belvedere North, which had a 27, or 27-17 win over Hananega. Uh, Belvedere North is now 7-0 in the Nick 10 uh, any? Do you have any insight on this team? Very little. It's it's usually one of these leagues that uh, that settles out in a different way. Um, Belvedere North hasn't been a bad program by any stretch of the imagination. No. but this is a conference that is usually dominated by one or two or maybe even three teams, and Belvedere North is the, the kind of team that kind of filters into the middle of that pack. Um, you know, early in the season they picked up a win over Boylan, which uh, they don't do very often. So that kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit, but to be honest with you, I thought, I thought the league would do what it always does kind of correct itself. Maybe that was an isolated incident where they beat Boylan, you know, caught him on, caught him on a bad day or whatever, but they just keep rolling along. So, uh, I mean, that's a team that it's always difficult with that conference to get a real measuring stick of what they're all about on a year to year basis. Boylan has had some post season success, so has Harlem to a lesser extent, but uh, as a whole, the conference hasn't been real great in the postseason. Um, but so that and they're in a lot of conference; they don't play any non-conference games, so you can't really get a clear measuring stick. 
But I think that Belvedere North team might be tricky enough where um, you're not going to really want to draw them uh, to find out. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, it's been an interesting run for them here uh, now at 7-0 with Rockford-Guilford. I'm sorry, not Rockford-Guilford. Um, uh, I lost my spot here. I was going to say Rockford-Guilford, though. Uh, just looking through here, there's another team under my radar. 6-1, and one. did not realize that uh, for Rockford-Guilford coming off a 2-7 and seven year. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's kind of been a different year for that conference. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Harlem hasn't Harlem hasn't fallen completely out of that group, but uh, I mean, you just you just get used to seeing certain teams up there at the top, um, and they're really not there now. It's kind of a, a different year in that respect. So you know, kind of parsing out that conference, you can't go back to the the old staples that you usually do and say, well, you know, Boylan will probably run the table here. Well. Maybe they won't. I mean, that's just, you can't, the, there are certain things, especially in a lot of conferences, you look to the benchmarks, you look to the games and the expectation of what's happened before because you really don't have any other data to go on. So um, that's what you have to do. So it's definitely been an interesting year in the Nick 10. All right, heading to some small school action here. Uh, we got uh, the Sangamo, a game that we previewed last week. Uh, Moreau of Forsyth and Williamsville, the Trojans, Moreau of Forsyth, uh, were able to uh, take the lead with 103 left in that game. Uh, sophomore receiver Mitch Williams uh, having four catches on that drive. Uh, Moreau of Forsyth win that game 24-20. to A really, really quality win for the Trojans. Not not really surprised to see the Trojans win that game. Um, I mean, I did think Williamsville was favored, but this is a, a Moreau Forsyth program that's in really good shape. It's it's going to be a tough out. Um, is MF is Moreau Forsyth one uh, A or two A? They're a firm two A. Two A. That's they'll definitely okay. be in the two A field. Yep. Yeah. So you know, an interesting win for them in the grand scheme of things. It's a game that over the past couple of years they haven't they haven't done real well in. So. For them to bounce back uh, there was not stunning in any way, shape, or form. A lot of success in this program as well, um, but just hadn't quite gotten up to Williamsville's level, but did and controlled that game um, for a fair fair portion of it. So uh, I, I found it interesting because every weekend I kind of put out a, a, a Twitter post, um, you know, indicating how many undefeated teams are left and such and such. I noticed a lot of Moroa traffic under that tweet. I wonder why. So, uh, you know, that's, that was, uh, that was, uh, just something that I kind of laughed about, but, uh, I'm friendly with those guys. So they, they probably just given me, give me a little bit of the business for, uh, annotating that I thought Williamsville would win that game. Yeah. Uh, another seven and O team, uh, that really, um, just a score caught my attention, which was sacred heart Griffin, uh, in a matchup of state rate team a state ranked teams beat Chatham Glenwood 49 to zero. I expected the Cyclones to win this game. But the margin surprised me, Seuss. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really good football team. I mean, I know that they got overwhelmed last year in the four A state championship game against a Joliet Catholic team that was just bursting with talent. Um, so you kind of lost in the shuffle. How good that that team could potentially be? A ton of underclassmen on that roster last year. Now really coming into its own as seniors. Um, it's just a really, really good football team, and it's why that like so many people are interested to see exactly where they fall in the in the postseason landscape. Because whatever classification they end up in, whether it be three A or four A, um, I think they're the favorite label in either one of those classes. They they are they are as good as uh, as as a Sacred Heart Griffin team has been in a while, 
And that's saying something because they've had some really good football teams there. So veteran coach Ken Leonard, his last run, um, it should be it should be an interesting thing as we see over the last two weeks to see where the Cyclones land because, like I said, a huge a huge field landscape type of thing uh, to see which classification they're going to end up in. All right. Uh, one other game, and this is more just out of my own amusement than anything because I was just looking at it and laughing. Reed Custer uh, put up 73 points on Streeter for a 73-14 win. Uh, the, the comment's now 7-0. and Seuss, <coughs> just, just looking at it here. Reed Custer has now scored 418 points on the season and allowed 32. Uh, it's just, once again, we've talked about it a bit, but like you just look where this program was a couple years ago and, and to have a 418 to 32 scoring difference and be 7-0, man, it's just incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen them once this year, obviously, a couple weeks ago when they manhandled Wilmington and and something I haven't seen before. The, the, the thing that's so interesting about Reed Custer is um, they run such a sophisticated passing attack. You don't see this very much uh, at the high school level. And I was standing down by the end zone before they scored one of their touchdowns against Wilmington, and I noticed the development of the passing route that the receiver that ended up scoring the touchdown on was. And I just And I don't say this very often. I just, I was, as the ball was in the air, I was like, that was a beautiful route. I didn't even know how the play was going to play out, but it was, it was just a beautifully well-executed play. And that's what happens when you have a team full of guys that have been playing heavy varsity minutes since they were sophomores, what that cultivates in their senior year. Because, I mean, that play in particular is beautiful. They ran several others that I was like, oh, man. Like, you just, it just was really, really special to watch. It's funny. I, I noted that the point the points scored in a game uh, reset the school record for points in a game for the third time this season. They broke. They've <laughs> already they already broke it twice this year. Now they broke it a third time with the win over Streeter on Friday night. Um, they're also, I think, a hundred and five points short of a the single season uh, scoring record in program history. Um, they'll probably get that in two weeks at this pace. So, um, and probably barrel past it. So it's just a really, really impressive football team to watch on both sides of the football. I feel like I, I, we're talking about the offense a lot. That defense is very good as well. Yeah. Um, it, it speaks to the margin. So a very, very interesting team, um, it, you know, heading into the postseason. I'm sure nobody wants to see them, uh, on the opposite side of the draw. And, uh, I was talking with another 3A coach, uh, earlier earlier today actually and and said something along the lines of i don't think you're going to like my projection this week coach and it took about two seconds for the comment to come back with a, a shock face emoji and says don't tell me it's reed custer <laughs> so uh i they're out there and people know so it's uh it's very interesting what they've been able to do and and credit to that program because they have got it firing on all cylinders. A couple more small school scores before we get out of here. Princeton with no trouble over St. Bede last week. Uh, I thought Fulton's win over Forston was an interesting one, Seuss. And, uh, you know, a team that I, I've been paying attention to just because we're so used to seeing them in the postseason, I wasn't sure they were going to get there, was uh, Newman Central Catholic, which was 3-3 three and three, 
uh, coming into that game, needed to win two out of three, uh, was able to pick up a 2018 win over Hall, get themselves in a better position over the final two weeks. Any other small school store scores that, uh, that you noticed? I think he touched on the majority of them. It, you know, it, in the Three Rivers Conference, it's been really, really tricky this year to kind of establish the middle of that pack, but there's absolutely no doubting after that that Princeton-St. Pete game who's on top. Um, that's that's definitely Princeton. They're, they're playing really, really good football right now. Um, so now you, you look at that you, and, and you kind of know. If you didn't already know that distinction, it's clear now. Uh, Newman Central, like you mentioned, needed that win. That was a, that was a win that they had to pick up to get themselves in position to get back into the field too. But a lot of clustering. They're another conference. There's a lot of clustering in the middle of both sides of those divisions. And a lot of games that I think are classified as pretty much toss-up games over the last two weeks of the season. So some interesting games in the three rivers on a week-to-week basis here. All right, Seuss, let's get out of here, but put a bow on it for us. Put a bow on week seven. Well, I mean, it was like I talked before, starting into this, it was a strangely stable week in, in high school football in Illinois. Uh, usually you have a whole litany of upsets and crazy things happening from here to there. We only had four undefeated teams lose this week, which is just a, a chronically low number for, to go from week to week. We were talking about having possibly the fewest undefeated teams we've ever had earlier in the season. Now it looks like we might have the most. So it, it's just, it's been kind of a, it's kind of been a, just a, a crazy chaotic way that that's been going, but uh, it's as, as stable as it was this week, I fully expect looking ahead to the schedules that some of these teams have over the rest of the year, the last two weeks are going to be nuts and we're really looking forward to it. All right. Well, Seuss and I will be back later this week to get you set for week eight. Josh Welge and Jake Barlson will of course be along as well to look at everything in the Western suburbs. We'll have, power rankings, projections, all of our Week 8 preview dropping on FridayNightDrive.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at FNDrive. Follow myself on Twitter at Kyle Neighbors. Follow Seuss on Twitter at the Seuss, And, of course, follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Friday Night Drive. With that, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. For Steve Susie, I am Kyle Neighbors. Thank you for listening to the Friday Night Drive podcast, and we will talk to you later this week. Schweikert, Gannison, Krizak, Rundio proudly sponsors the Friday Night Drive. I'm Mike Krizak. If you've been injured, we are ready to take on the insurance company and get you to the end zone. We've recovered hundreds of millions of dollars for our clients. Visit gannassin.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.